Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Margaret, thank you for that reading. I apologise that A, the lectern is quite high for you, and B, it was quite a long reading. But thank you ever so much. <clears throat> I thought as I adjusted the lectern for me and Katie, I didn't realise it was you doing the reading. But anyway, um, I wasn't really sure what to speak about today, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, for these summer series, we, we don't get given a topic. Uh, we get the whole Bible to choose from, so just a little bit of choice. Um, a few months ago, I can remember, uh, I heard today's passage being read, and I couldn't get out of my head um, just the massive amounts of faith Abraham must have had. We sung a few songs this morning, so thank you, Becky and the band, uh, about faith, about all the faith we have, and, and giving all that to God. In our Bibles, the gap between God's command and Abraham's obedience is minuscule. Verse 2, where God commands Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him on an altar, is swiftly followed by verse 3, which begins the next morning. Let's think in a minute. The next morning. The next morning. Not after chatting with his friends. Not after posting on Facebook, what to do, what to do. And hoping a friend from years ago, who haven't spoken to since school, suddenly has great wisdom. Not even after doing a really positive thing of praying and fasting over it. No. The next morning, he heard God's command, he trusted it, and he actioned it. And if you're sitting there thinking, my word, Henry, you're about two minutes in to a light summer series, and you already hit me in the face with it, I give no apologies. This wasn't my planned talk, I'll be perfectly honest. I'd had about six months to plan this, and God changed it yesterday (laughs) it may well be a wonderful world as this summer series is entitled but what if we could make it even more wonderful what would our lives and our world look like if we all had a faith like Abraham and what's stopping us from having one now park that for a few minutes Let your subconscious process that, and we'll come back to it later. We first meet Abraham in Genesis 11. At this point, he's already 75, and as we understand it, he's a shepherd. So 75 years of living before we first hear about him stepping out in faith. That's great, isn't it? That means I'm 33, I've got 42 more years before I need to start living like that. Is is that that not right? Unfortunately, that's very wrong. When Abraham, or at that point was Abraham, was 70 or 75, God called him. We all get called to something in our life. Some of us it's early, some of us it's later. Some of us it's more regularly as we go on. But when God calls, we have a choice. Do we answer or do we wait? In chapter 12, Uh, verse 1 says the Lord had said to Abraham go from your country your people and your father's household 
to the land I will show you. So at 75, God tells him to up sticks, leave his community, leave his family, and go to a land that he will be shown. No GPS destination, no map marked out, just up and leave. God follows on with a promise that should have made leaving easier. He says in verse 2 to 3, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that should make moving, upping sticks and changing your life a little bit easier. So you'd have thought, excuse me, that Abraham would have spent a little bit of time plotting on maps and deciding his route. But not as far as the Bible's concerned. In verse 4 it continues, So Abraham went as the Lord told him. A quick curveball as well. Remember the promise we just read? That he would be uh, a great nation and he would be blessed. That would have meant leaving his family behind a little easier because he needed to have a big family of his own. The curveball is Abraham's wife, Sarai, couldn't have children. We're told that in verse 30 of chapter 11. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And yet Abraham went as instructed by God. Even though the promise of God was seemingly earthly impossible. He took his household, so his wife, his slave, his livestock and his nephew and left. In Genesis uh, chapter 11 to 25 is the full story of Abraham. And through it, it shows just how much Abraham went through in his long life. It's got many faithful stories, and some admittedly less so. In chapter 13, Abraham and his nephew Lot, who have been traveling together for years, separate. Their flocks get too big to be sustained by the same land. The extended family he still had around him leaves. In chapter 14, war broke out. And Abraham had to send 300 or so of his best fighters to rescue his nephew Lot, who'd been captured. Chapter 15, God promises a great reward to Abraham, to which Abraham responds, admittedly abridged, what's the point with a blessing if I have no kids to inherit it? God responds by making a covenant, a binding agreement with Abraham, that he will be blessed with an heir. Even though Abraham is still about 80, and Sarai is still barren, In chapter 17, God appears to Abraham to remind him of the covenant promise that he and Sarah will have a child. And just so he doesn't forget again, God tells them to circumcise all the males in his household, no matter their age. At which point all the men in the room go, ouch! But let's be honest, if we had to do that now, we would surely remember why that happened. At this point, God also changes their names. Abraham, or Abraham to Abraham, and Sarai to Sarah. You know, just in case they still forget about the promise. In chapter 18, God promises again that Sarah will have a child. At this point, Sarah laughs to herself because she's old. She even tries to deny to God that she said she was too old. I could keep going. And at this point, you'd be forgiven for thinking, nothing's stopping me from having a faith-filled life like Abraham after those examples. They don't seem that faith-filled. And on the surface, you'd be right. However... If you were here last time I spoke, remember, no buts. In every example and more, Abraham's faith is proven to be very well placed. In chapter 13, 
Abraham let Lot choose the best fields and plains for his flocks. And in verse 14 to 15, we read, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Look around you where you are, from the north to the south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give you to you and your offspring forever. Chapter 14, after risking his men for his nephew, verse 16 tells of his success. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. Chapter 15, Abraham accepts God's covenant promise. And in verse 16 we read, he was rewarded with another promise of descendants and land. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the warrior of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. We carry on in chapter 17. Abraham obeys God's command, having the faith that God will fulfill his end of the bargain. In verse 26, Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. Chapter 18, with faith firmly placed in God's promise, Abraham and Sarah make no more attempts to circumvent God's timing. And in chapter 21, verse 1 to 2, we see that it's a very well-placed faith. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised. Not long after this promise was fulfilled, we come back around to our reading for today. Chapter 22, and Abraham's faith being tested. Hopefully you're thinking the same as I was. Why, after Abraham's faith has proven to be in the right place, at least most of the time, was God now testing him? For me, I like to think of testing as more of refinement. Uh, Psalm 66 puts it, For you, God tested us. You refined us like silver. God wanted to refine Abraham's faith, not make sure it was there. Not because it was weak or unsustaining, but because something was diluting it. Something was distracting Abraham from his original faith. Ironically, this was the covenant promise of the long-awaited heir, Isaac. You see, in our Bibles, chapter 22 starts with sometime later. A simple sentence, only a line away from the end of chapter 21, which tells of Isaac's birth. In reality, this sometime later was actually around 15 years. In planning today's talk, I was pointed to a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God, and in particular chapter 2, which for me perfectly sums up those 15 years and what they did to Abraham's faith. It says this, Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough to be his grandfather, and the child became at once the delight and idol of his heart. From the moment he first stooped down to take the tiny form awkwardly in his arms, He was an eager love slave of his son. God went out of his way to comment on the strength of his affection, and it is not hard to understand. The baby represented everything sacrificed, everything sacred to his father's heart. The promises of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years, and the long messianic dream. As he watched him grow from babyhood to young manhood, the heart of the man was knit closer with the life of his son. Till at last the relationship bordered on the perilous. It was then God stepped in to save both father and son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. 
The more you delve into what Tozer said, the more we can see that Abraham had begun to worship his child rather than the God that gave him to him. I fully acknowledge that Tozer's words aren't in the Bible, but I can't help but agree with them. I think they perfectly fill the gaps in the words of how Genesis 22 starts. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Just in case Abraham wasn't sure who it was he was to take. Take your son, you know, your only son, the one you love, you know, Isaac. I'm not a parent myself, but all you need to do is chat to a parent about the love they hold for their children. The overpowering, sacrificial love that they have you'll be able to understand this a little bit more. Sure, most parents will joke about the sleep they've lost or the financial cost children bring when they never get any privacy. But once you keep talking to them about their child, when you keep listening, I can guarantee you'll see their gaze change. Their face crack a loving smile and the tone of their voice adjust as they begin to concentrate again on the love they hold on the smiles of their child, the first they got to witness, the pride that beams out of them when their child succeeds, and the pain and heartbreak when their child suffers. And many of you are there right now. Briefly skipping over the torrent of emotions that Tozer's words conjure up, Genesis 22.2 says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him then as a, then as a burnt offering, on a mountain I will show you. God is refining Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice his only son. We've already read the end of the story, so we know it's a happy ending. And those of you that noticed the continuity error in the passage between the lamb and ram reference, hold on to that and we'll come back to that another day. God tested Abraham and refined his faith. Abraham offered up what was good and right the fulfilment of a promise that was 25 years in the making. But my question to us today is what is diluting our faith? What is stopping us from having a faith like Abraham? What is delaying us from acting the next morning? How many of us would willingly offer up what God has promised us and delivered upon I expect many of us here are saying to ourselves something like, well, yeah, of course I would if God asked me to. And that's great. But how many of us would do it the next day? How many of us would do it the next morning without spending time thinking and talking to others about it? If you're like me, and if God tells you to do something, which is usually for me far, far less than asking me to sacrifice my child, mainly because I haven't got one, I know I very, very rarely action what he's telling me to do anywhere near as quickly as the next morning. I usually pray and ask God for a sign to confirm it. Not a terrible idea, I suppose. Even if he then sends a sign, I ask for a different one to confirm it again. And then I go and talk to somebody about it. And then somebody else, and somebody else, until I find someone who agrees with me and not God. And then I get so caught up in the gut-wrenching feeling that I'm not doing something I should have, but I end up doing what God told me to do in the first place, only often days, weeks, or months after he told me to do it. And that's only about buying a new Bible. All joking aside, if we want to live a wholly God-centered life, 
with a faith like Abraham's? What is God telling you to offer up? What is it that takes your focus away from Jesus? I think you know what it is straight away. But before we start getting defensive, let's remember God did not take Isaac away from Abraham. But he did ask him to be actively willing to let go of him. Abraham was reminded of the importance of putting God first in his life and demoting Isaac from the position of idol of the heart. What is God telling us, telling you to offer up? Is God telling you you're putting Netflix before your time with him? Are you putting work before God? Are you putting family before God? Are you putting your hobbies or your money before God? All these things and more are God-given and therefore right and proper to have in our lives. But we need to have the right priority level. Putting God above worldly things is hard, but worth every bit of effort. It takes a lot of effort to say not yet to that episode we've been dying to watch. Not yet to go into work early before spending time with God. Putting God before friends and family can feel scary. But we need to lead our friends and family units by example. When we put God first in our lives, we show those around us the importance of trusting God above ourselves. And the results truly speak for themselves. And we all know that deep down. When we need to be reminded of the fruits of putting faith in God above anything else, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It's entitled, Great Examples of Faith, or Faith in Action, and is a fantastic summary of a few examples of putting God first and living a life of faith. Here's what it says about today's passage. It's Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, who had embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. A faith in a God who has defeated death is a very well-placed faith. i say that again. Faith in a God who has defeated death a very well placed faith Jesus defeated death he died on a cross so we can be forgiven for all our sins and he rose again so we would have a personal relationship with God Jesus defeated death we need to trust him we need to put him first in our lives put everything else behind him and we will be rewarded As a response from what we've been talking about today, I know it's not been long, but I want to spend a bit of time thinking about this. I'm going to ask you to do something. At the end of your rows, you should find some post-it notes and a pen or two. Please feel free to please do parties down and, and take a post-it each. Becky and the band are going to come up now as well. Uh, they're going to play a song to us. Uh, a song which the bridge has an often familiar word of all to Jesus I surrender. And just like you, as, as the band play this and sing to us, I'd like you to sit and consider what God is asking you to surrender. 
What is God asking you to lay down on the altar? What is he asking you to put after him on your list of priorities? Write it on your post-it, and if you can, bring it up and place it on the cross here, just as a symbol of your willingness to lay it down before God and put God in front of it. If you haven't got a pen or a post-it, there will be some around, and please do share. Um, Back in the band, I'm going to leave this in this song, uh, and then we're going to stand and sing uh, a little bit at the end. But please do spend some time prayerfully considering. I think if I think all of us will know what God's asking us to lay down. I don't think you've really got to have to delve deep in your heart to find it. To trust what God's telling you and write it down. And bring it up here and lay it on the cross as a symbol of, of laying it down before God. Thank you. Um, just taking a quick glance of the things uh, on the cross. Um, wow. Um, I think God's said a lot to people today. Um, I loved hearing everyone chatting about it as well. Um, I think some of these things we spend far too long um, on our own worrying about these things that we need to change, need to, need to move. Um, so I would encourage you, with people sitting with, with friends, with family, don't let the conversation end here today. Talk to each other, let's support each other as family, and let's work together as we try and reorder our priorities. Uh, to keep God uh, first in our lives. We know that he'll come through for us. We know that he will succeed for us. Whatever you think God is saying to you, whatever you've written down on your post-it note, I want you to do three things this week. Hear it. Listen to what God is saying to you. He may say more to you than what you've heard today. Weigh it. Make sure what he is asking you to do is spiritual and biblical. If it's not, it may not be from him. So listen harder and keep listening. And then action it. Follow Abraham's example. Don't wait weeks or months to action this. But let's get the ball rolling. Please understand, I stand up here without this all sorted. I'll be the first to admit I put so much in front of God on my priority list. But I know each time I reorder my list, each time I lay something down, He honours me. If you have any doubt in this, try it. I guarantee you, He will honour you. He will honour your decision to put Him first in your life. Let me pray as we finish. And uh, Becky and the band are going to play our uh, last song. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your loving grace and mercy. That even when we put things in our life far before you on our priority list, you still love us. Lord, help us as we reshuffle our priorities this week. Help us to remember to place our faith in you, even when it feels like we could do a better job ourselves. Thank you that your word is full of examples where we can see putting you first in our lives is the best option. Lord, guide us and help us to put our faith in you and you alone every single day.